Good morning, Church by the Sea. When my wife Michelle and I moved away last year, I never imagined I would have another opportunity to greet you from this pulpit. But God did what God does best and surprised us. I should say shocked us when Jeff and the elders called us back into ministry in late April. Even though we can't yet gather here in the sanctuary, I've been enjoying reconnecting with many of you individually for coffee or bite to eat or just talking to the phone. And now that we're meeting on Sunday nights at the beach, we have even more chances to connect. One of my greatest blessings being back is the opportunity to once again lead the Tuesday night men's Bible study. We just started the book of Galatians, and already we're discovering how God's timeless word applies to our lives today, especially in these chaotic times. Just as I open with a greeting to all of you, so too the Apostle Paul opened his letter to the Galatians with a greeting. It was during a Tuesday night with the men a couple weeks ago when we were studying this greeting that I got clarity as to what I want to share with all of you today. Jeff asked us ministry leaders to speak on what God has shown us and what we've learned during these past few months of this pandemic. In Galatians, Paul intentionally uses his greeting to remind the churches of the gospel or good news that brought them into a relationship with the living God. Paul ends his greeting with, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. We may know that the gospel is all about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, but did you know this good news also includes that we have already been delivered from this present evil age we now live in? Do you feel delivered from all that is going on in the world today, especially with the way everyday lives have been turned upside down? The present evil age Paul refers to began when Christ died on the cross. That was the age Paul lived in when he wrote Galatians. It's the same age we all live in almost 2,000 years later. This is the age that will continue until Christ comes again. This is the age where we are called by Jesus to live in a world even though we are no longer of this world. That is why through God's grace, We've been given the gift of faith so we can live lives pleasing to God rather than in bondage to sin. Through God's grace, we've been given the word of God so we can live by the wisdom of God rather than the world's wisdom. And through God's grace, we've been given the gift of the Spirit so we can live by the power of God rather than our own. I want us to ask ourselves today, are we living by this grace of God that delivered us from this present evil age? Since the COVID crisis began, I'm troubled with a number of Christians who seem to be taken captive again by the world they have been delivered from. For example, I see an obsession with sharing and promoting the latest opinion on the nature of the COVID virus and how people should be responding to the pandemic. It almost feels like there's an epidemic within this pandemic with people spreading these opinions every chance they get, whether on social media, texting, or everyday conversations. As a recipient of these opinions, which you can't help getting unless you cut off all communications with everyone, I've noticed a few things. 
One is that the opinions form clusters whereby you can pretty much tell if a person agrees with a certain opinion, they will likely agree with all the other opinions shared by that common group. Second, the more and more troublesome, is that these opinions are often divisive in nature and pit one group against another. Lastly, people seem to adopt these opinions without giving them much thought. They parrot what others say to the point you hear the same words and phrases repeated by those sharing the opinion. Instead of people really thinking through what they share, they just simply repeat and repost these opinions. But no matter what side or group these opinions come from, they share one common characteristic. They take a worldly, not a heavenly perspective on what is going on. In other words, their content and concern is on this world and they draw almost entirely from the world's wisdom. God's name and even scripture verses may be used at times, but the unmistakable purpose is to put one's intention of what others are doing or are not doing concerning this pandemic. My hope today is for us to look at an opinion that comes from a different place and with a different focus, an opinion that will put all other opinions in perspective. I want us to look at the opinion that will really make a difference in our lives. Now, to find that opinion, I could go to the world's authority, Google, and ask, what is the opinion that really matters? And Google will give the appropriate answer for those who want to stay captivated by this world. In fact, Google's almost unanimous answer to that question is that the only opinion that really matters is our own. But for Christians who must both live in this world but not be of this world, rather than searching Google for an opinion that really matters, we instead must search our authority, God's word, to find the opinion that really matters. So grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians which you will find in the New Testament. One nice thing about watching this online is you can just pause me, go grab your Bible, and come back and hit play. Paul wrote this letter to the Church of Philippi, and he wrote it from, I guess you could say, a form of quarantine. He wrote it from jail in Rome, where he had been put because he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. As Paul opens his letter, you can't but help feel how much, he loved the, this, how much he loved the people in this church. Listen to what he says. He says in uh, Philippians 1, starting at verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. And you were all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
One of the major reasons Paul wrote this letter is because one group of people were pressuring others in the church that only by adopting their views and opinions they could be accepted as true Christians. For Paul, these opinions were putting people's confidence in the flesh. And by flesh, Paul meant anything we put our confidence, worth, or acceptance in other than that which was revealed through Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. Right before the passage we're going to look at, Paul lists how more than anyone he had reason to put his confidence in the flesh because of his statue as a Jew, his religious standing, and all he had accomplished. It is then in just two verses that Paul intentionally, concisely, and emphatically reveals what really matters in this life and how to live as Christians in this world that have been delivered from this world. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ. To understand what Paul is saying here, we must see how he structured it to make his point. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote it in this way with the hope that what he says would change the life of every Christian who reads it. Jeff brought this out, this type of structuring, when he looked at one of the Psalms a few weeks ago. It is a literary technique commonly used in the Hebrew and Greek language called a chiasm, and it is designed to make one's point clearly, concisely, and with conviction. This is how Paul's passage looks chiastically and how the original readers would have read it in order to fully grasp what he was saying. Let's first identify the words he uses to define the structure. The first and last parallel lines marked with an A are related by the use of the word gain. In the next two parallel lines marked with a B are related by the word loss. The middle line C stands on its own, which we will look at shortly. Paul uses words we can all relate to, gain and loss. Think of the COVID crisis in the last few months. Before March, there were things we had gained in our lives, a job, a degree in school, a group of friends, a church, our health, our freedom to go and gather anywhere we wanted. Before March, we likely took many of these things for granted. And then, in the first month of the quarantine and shutdown, how many of those things did we lose? And how many of us so desired to gain back what we lost, to recover what we once called normal? At this point, we don't even know if we will ever get it all back. Now, in addition to the words gain and loss, there's another word Paul uses repeatedly to make his point. It is the word consider. Some Bible versions use the word count. I have to say that I was quite surprised when Steve Krantz, who spoke last week, sent me his material before he preached. His focus was also on the word consider. 
but instead its usage in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated consider here means to focus on something or someone, to give a due consideration, and to hold a view or have an opinion with regard to something. Thus, Paul is telling us that he has given considerable thought and attention to what he has written to the point that he has formed an opinion. In the way Paul makes his point, however, he believes with all his heart, mind, and soul that this opinion really matters, not just to him, not just to the church at Philippi, but for all Christians at all times. So what is this opinion Paul says all of us should have as our own? Well, Paul is telling us that everything, and he means absolutely everything we have gained in this life, we should consider as a loss because of Christ, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. This means that everything we have works so hard for our life, our jobs, our education, our status, our bank account, our homes, our cars, all of our material possessions, and so much more we should consider a loss. This includes all the things we have come to take for granted in our city, in our state, in our country, and this world at large. All of the rights and privileges we believe we should have a loss for Christ. Our health, the food we eat, our entertainment, our mobile devices, the technology we use, even social media, a loss for Christ. Really, we might ask? Really, Paul would answer. But why? Because what we gain is worth far more than the loss of everything else. In the middle line C, the central point of Paul's argument, he says there is something, or I should say someone, who it is worth counting it all a loss for. The greatest value in life, and Paul uses the word surpassing value, is on personally knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses all four of these words together. Christ, Jesus, my, and Lord. Paul is using this combination to show that he values his personal intimate relationship with our Lord, our Savior, our High Priest, Jesus Christ, above everything else in life. In the song, In Christ Alone, the lyrics nail what Paul is talking about. The song says, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And then it goes on to say, He is my all and all. That is what Paul is saying here, that we must consider everything a loss for the gain of knowing that Christ is our all and all. In repeatedly using the word consider, Paul is imploring each one of us to consider who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and to then form this same opinion that all and everything is lost for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Note what Paul is not saying. He's not saying we must lose 
give up or get rid of all these things in our life to have a relationship with Christ. He is not saying we can't have opinions on things going on in the world or being involved in making a difference in this world. But what he is saying is that in our hearts and our minds, in the way we lead our lives, in public or private, nothing else should hold value that competes in any way with our relationship with Christ. All of our interactions with this world should be based on considering all of it a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Paul says should characterize a life of all Christians at all times. Now think about this for a moment. If this was the way we viewed our lives and the world around us when the COVID crisis hit in March, how different would we have handled and coped with the radical changes that happened almost overnight to the world we live in? How different would we have reacted internally and outwardly to the chaos the COVID crisis set in motion? How much more will we have experienced, as Paul says in the next chapter, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding? That word surpassing in that verse is the exact same word Paul uses in the passage we're looking at. When we consider all loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, we experience the surpassing peace of God in our lives. Don't we all long for that peace more than ever? Now, going back to our passage, notice the progression. The first half of this passage in the first lines of A and B, Paul is speaking in terms of the past. He has considered everything he gained a loss for his relationship with Christ. But in the last two lines, also marked with an A and B, Paul turns from the past to the present, by saying that he continues to see everything he may gain as loss. In fact, everything may become every in fact, everything that may become a gain, Paul uses the strongest language possible to say how he would now view it. Everything in life he has today and everything in life he gains, he will continue to consider it not just a loss, but as dung. Dung is exactly what you think it is. In the Greek language, it is a word we would translate as poop, literally mean animal or human excrement. Commentators of the Greek language say the best word to translate it in our vernacular of our day would be the word crap. Paul chooses a word in his day that was repugnant and met utter uselessness and worthlessness. That is how we are to consider anything we may gain in the world. We are to consider it all loss. We are to consider it all dung. Again, why? Paul ends our passage in the last line by unequivocally telling us why. So that we may gain Christ and continue to gain Christ. And continue to gain an ongoing personal relationship with the Christ who created us, saved us, and sustains us. At this point, we may say to ourselves, this is only an ideal. 
We would never be able to do this in our lifetime. Or we may say that Paul was special, that he could have this mindset, but we never could. But Paul not only does not say that, but uses the Greek language to make it emphatic that we can live this way today. Just a few verses later, in verse 17, he commands Christians to imitate him in this way, with the same opinion. That includes us as Christians today. Or we may look at this and say, this is only Paul's opinion. He had that opinion for himself. Well, that's fine. I can have my own opinion. Why should Paul's opinion be any more valid than mine? To answer that, we only have to go back a chapter in this letter to chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, where Paul exhorts his readers to, and listen closely what he says. He says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch the wording? We are to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, meaning he was God, and did not consider equality with God. There's that word again, consider. Jesus Christ himself formed an opinion that even though he was God, he would become one of us so that he could lay down his life for us so we could be forgiven of our sins. Why did Jesus do this for us? We find that out in the passage we have been looking at. He gave his life so we can, through faith in him, consider the surpassing value of knowing him personally. This is what we mean when we say God first loved us. God considered the value and worth of our lives so great that he willingly chose to lay aside his deity so he could lay down his life for us. That is the good news we proclaim to this world desperately in need of it. That is why Paul exhorts us to live our lives constantly considering and reconsidering that everything is a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Once we have placed our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior, how do we stay in a relationship with him so we consider everything a loss for the surpassing value of knowing him? The answer is simple, but it is also one of the greatest struggles of the Christian life. We personally get to know others when we spend time in conversation with them. That's why I so love the time I get to connect with all of you, especially when we get a bite to eat. Through the exchange of words, we don't just know more about each other, but we grow in our relationship with each other. 
This is why God has given us the gift of both his word that we call the Bible and his spirit that lives in us. The two are inseparable and form the way in this present age that we are able to personally know Christ who sits today at the right hand of the Father. We don't read Scripture to just gain knowledge about God, but to personally meet and get to know God through His Word and Spirit. You will soon get frustrated and may even give up reading God's Word if you look at the Bible as something to just gain knowledge about. But if you approach the Word as you would a person you want to get to know personally, you will soon discover why Paul claims that there is nothing greater in life than the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I invite any of you that if you want to know more about how to read the Bible this way, contact me. You can find my email on our website under the staff page. In closing, how do we apply what Paul has said to our lives and how will that change our lives? In a sermon, you expect the application to go at the end after looking at a passage. But in Philippians, Paul reverses the order and begins with the application and then tells us why. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. To fully grasp what Paul is saying, we need to know that the word translated as more important is the exact same word translated surpassing in our main passage. When we know this, we see how our treatment of others comes both from what Christ did for us and the surpassing value we place on our relationship with Christ. With the same emphasis on the all-encompassing nature, Paul emphatically states that in all and every interaction we have with others, we are to consider their value as surpassing our own. We do that by taking the time to consider, in other words, to form an opinion of them and their needs that results in placing them above ourselves. This consideration takes place through a relationship with others where we intentionally seek to understand their lives. When we do, the result is compassion for others to lead us to putting their interests above our own. What Paul is describing in all these passages we looked at is how the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ as Lord, changes not only our lives, but the lives of those we interact with. Living out this gospel is how we live in this present evil age, whereby we are in the world, but never of the world. What would our world look like? What would our church look like if we all sought to live this way? I'll end where Paul begins chapter 2 by describing what our little church by the sea would look like if we considered all things a loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ and considered others of surpassing value to ourselves. This is my prayer for all of us at our church so that as we meet more and more in person, we will see this prayer being answered.
through the grace of God. This is Paul's opening words in chapter 2 that we will close with. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Amen.